from the Montucky skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. Dude, so much to talk about today. I'm really excited. I'll start out with, uh, we went to a concert last night. Um, or no, not last night, the night before. So I'm so excited. I'm getting my days <laughs> mixed up. But we went and saw Ween in Missoula. So it's a good time. Um, we saw it in the Kettle House Amphitheater which is if you get a chance it is amazing it's a really good it looks like a really good venue yeah it's um the beers are like seven bucks a piece so they gouge you but not as bad as they could because i've been places where it was like 11 12 for a beer (laughs) oh sure i went to the baseball game it was a 24 ounce beer was 12 dollars. yeah so there you go this is like a 16 for seven (laughs) but Good beer. Uh, it's all the Kettle House stuff, so I really like the Double Hall IPA. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. but um, So we were in the general admission, which was on purpose. I looked at the layout, and I wanted to be a little bit back. I didn't want to be pushing at the floor. I wanted to you know, relax a little bit. So they have this whole lawn area in the back, and it sold out. But there was like plenty of space in in the grass, which was nice. I mean, like you're next to people, but you get a couple of feet around you, which is impressive. Like a lot of places, they would just pack it, you know. So yeah. So, um, it's got a nice little backdrop of the mountains and like a river running by it too, which is always nice. And um, the people that showed up were a lot of fun. There's a guy with this really crazy sombrero who went crazy when they ended uh, with Buenos Tardes Amigo, which is a great song to end off of. They just bathed the stage in like blood red light when they did that song. And uh, there was a guy who was wearing like a sparkly purple cape who was running around. There was another dude who like would spread out his arms and he had like wings underneath his arms a la spider-man but it was like parts of the american flag (laughs) (laughs) it was really fun dude there's a lot of weird people but like everybody great people watching yeah and everybody was super friendly and nice like you always run the risk when you have that much booze going around that there's going to be a lot of dicks but like everybody's pretty nice i i've sort of discovered and i mean I only have a sample size of like 20 or 30 concerts, but I've noticed that when I do like, um, like festivals in particular, people tend to be assholes. You always get a few assholes. Yeah. And like with ween, it was just ween. There was not even an opening band. Like they played for two and a half hours. And so my theory is when it's just the one band playing, everybody's super cool. Cause everybody's there for the same thing. You don't get that drunk jerk who's just like, I'm not going to pay attention. I'm going to fucking make everybody mad around me. (laughs) But it was nice. It was all people around my age and like older for the most part. So, um, yeah, it was mellow, which was also nice. I'm at that age where I want a mellower concert, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah. But uh, enough about the concert. How was your week, dude? Oh, pretty uneventful. Not much anything going on. Just beating the heat. Yeah. Drove out to the lake, jumped in it. That was about it. All right. Well, let's start with a couple of deaths here. (laughs) It seems to be a tradition on this show now. Yeah. Since 2016. Fuck you, 2016. Yeah. Also 2017 so far. (laughs) 
uh, Martin Landau passed. I did not see. So I just found out about about both of these guys a little bit ago. So I didn't really get to get into depth or just to what happened or anything. But I know Martin Landau passed. Uh, dude was a legend, like clearly a legend. Yeah. Like he is in South by Southwest for all you Hitchcock fans. Uh, he was in the show Mission Impossible. He was, I believe, he was the point man in uh, the show for Mission Impossible. And then he was also in Ed Wood. He played Bella Lugosi. And then my favorite role he was in, which was Rounders. Yeah. Because he's like the judge who gives Matt Damon enough money to basically not be killed by by uh, KGB. <laughs> not the actual KGB, but the guy's nickname is KGB. Yeah. Um like I, I always like I always liked him in that role. I know he did Entourage for a while. Do you have like any anything that sticks out with Martin Lando? I think you've hit my big one. Which one was that? Uh in Rounders. Rounders. Okay. Yeah, Rounders is such a great movie. Yeah. Uh, Pay this man his money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was talking with Carl today. Uh, He was the one that actually clued me in that Martin Landau died. And uh, he was like laughing, talking about uh, uh, John Malkovich, how he just can't help but be Mm. John Malkovich. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. So even when he's doing Russian, it's very John Malkovichian. (laughs) Very much so. It's just like, don't splash the pot and just looks like very irritated. Like he's going to put a pencil in his neck the whole time. <laughs> Let him go. Pay that man his money. I, I can't do it. But <laughs> it's like the worst Russian accent, but it so works for that movie. <laughs> um, also, and this one, this one hits me in the feels even more. If I'm being honest, which is George Romero. Yeah, that, that one did. Yeah, me harder. I mean, George Romero, I've been watching his movies since I was a little kid. Don't tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't supposed to, but uh, just all of his uh, Night of the Living Dead movies, I just absolutely love. Like, Night of the Living Dead is one of the original one, the black and white one. Um, That's one of the ones I always like to point out to people when I talk about classic science fiction. Like, science fiction that actually... um, like talks about the human condition and things yeah. like that. Like you're, you're, you're using a fictional story to tell you something about the human condition and not every thing that tries to pass the science fiction does that. But really I think classic science fiction does that always. They're always trying to tell you something about the human race. Um, I really, really love night of the living dead. Like there's just this tension hanging over it. Uh, not just because of the zombies, but I mean, just like the people interacting with each other in the house. And like, there's this thing hanging over it. They don't really go out of their way to say what it is, but it is a black man. And there's a guy who's just like antagonizing him at every turn and trying to cut his legs out from under him at every turn. And you find out at the very end of the movie you know, he's the only one that lives and he pops his head out of a window for a second and a white soldier sees him and sees he's clearly alive and just shoots him in the head and kills him because you can just play it off like it's a zombie. And it's like right at the height of uh, like civil, civil rights, rights, you know, yeah. um, during the 60s. 
And so I always thought that was like a really interesting movie. Um, I thought it was interesting. They put a black man into a role at a time where it was really, really controversial to do that. Um, and didn't really play it up until the last scene so that it really hits you over the head, you know? And that's what a good movie it was. They actually, because I was, I was reading a interview with uh, Max Brooks, the writer of uh, World War Z. Yeah. The also, zombie survival guide. Also Mel Brooks' son. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I thought it was Albert Brooks's son. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Albert Brooks' son. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, they actually changed that ending because um, they put out the casting call for the lead role on that. And he chose the, the main character, just be based on his acting ability alone mm-hmm. in spite of him being a black man. Well, I, I don't know how to phrase that the best way, but like but at the without, time without, cool. without um, really like um, making a difference as far as like we're casting this because he's a black man or we're going to cast him because it was black man. Like race had no, real part in that because he was legitimately the best actor that tried out for that role. Right. There was just a lot of tension. Um, and I've, I've seen interviews where he talked about that, but then he also, once he had him in place, he did tag on the, the end scene because he had a black man in the lead and that's what he tends to play down a little bit, but I've seen him admit it in an interview where he was just like, he talked about that, that end scene. He was just like, you know, it was during civil rights and I did think it was important to say something. And yeah. it was definitely about turning on your fellow man. That movie really was. I mean, like that's, that movie is the basis of zombie movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that it existed before in like EC comics, like they did kind of the same kind of zombie that was slow moving and like it would come after people, you know, but that was the first time in cinema where you had this and you had the people stuck in the room, like dealing with the zombies, trying to like slowly break into the house, you know, like he, he started that, that was, it it was all Romero. And so it's like every time you watch something with zombies nowadays, it's really dating back to that. And if you don't like that, it's really funny because, they'll talk about the fast moving zombies and a lot of people say like, I prefer the Romero zombie. But the irony of that is Danny Boyle did the first fast moving zombie movie, which was like, uh, Oh, what was that? Um, was it 30 days or 28 days, 28 days later? That's right. Um, George Romero produced that (laughs) (laughs) and that started the fast moving zombie. So he's responsible for that zombie too, in a way, like he was yeah. the one that came up with the money and, and helped Danny Boyle put it together, you know, and believed in Danny Boyle to let him do that and like do a twist on his zombie take and make it a virus, which was not, people forget this, but that was not like a Night of the Living Dead and all those Romero movies that are based off of they that. They did really didn't, never really like dove too much into like the They cause. do say what, they do, they, they give you an idea of what it was, but they don't really get into it, which is, they say there's a Venus, there's a probe from Venus that like entered the Earth's atmosphere and all of a sudden there were zombies everywhere. And that's all that they say. They never say anything more. So like the, a news report basically clues you in that for some reason this Venus probe 
entering, like re-entering the Earth's atmosphere caused the zombies. So there's just like this uh, very light thing, which I was trying to make a case. Which to was Aaron. pretty vague. Vague. Yeah, and I was trying to make a case to Aaron that like it should be considered an alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, "Do they say it's like an alien virus?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> so he he wouldn't do it. But uh, you could make you could at least make the case that it's an alien movie too. But uh, regardless, it's just such a great movie. And then to make a sequel to it. And actually, probably make a better movie than Night of the Living Dead with Dawn of the Dead, which is incredible. Ugh. And by the way, like I like the remake too. Don't get me wrong; like a lot of people just know the remake, but the original one, the the thing that all of Romero's zombie movies had was they had the social commentary running through it. Yeah, and he definitely talks about racism in Dawn of the Dead. Like it's a lot like that last scene in Night of the Living Dead where they like shoot the black guy in the head. But in this one, at the beginning, they're going through apartments and there's people that are just like, there's like this basically like police force that's going through an apartment building and they're killing every zombie they see. And then they'll see like folks and sort of let them run out of the building. And then they'll see black people and they just shoot them immediately. And then they shoot more zombies like they're clearly picking off the minorities with the zombies and Dawn of the Dead. So you had that at the beginning, but then the main message was just about consumerism because yeah. it's like in a mall and all the zombies are flocking to the mall because it's what they're, you know, used to doing. Like we're used to being a zombie and going, and I think and that was stuff. the uh, first use of uh, the chainsaw kill. Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go. And then I'm trying to remember what the next one was. I think it might have been Day of the Dead. I think that was the next one. And that one talked about how, like, are we really more civilized than animals or beasts? Because basically this mad scientist, like one of the plots that's running through that whole movie is that this like scientist is trying to figure out a way to get zombies to kill people with guns. Like to make them more civilized and think about how they're killing people instead of just like ripping through and eating them. So you finally get a zombie that comes through and learns how to use a gun and is killing people. And so we're supposed to look at that zombie as more civilized because it picks up a gun and kills people instead of like gnawing through it with its, you know, arms and teeth. And so it's, it's like an insane message, but it, it's definitely like, you know, talks about violence in that one. And then I think, is it Land of the Dead? I think it was Land of the Dead that had like Dennis Hopper. I don't know if I've ever seen that one. Okay, so that one is, there's like a set, and these are all supposed to be connected, but there's like a section of the city that's uh, kind of isolated off and it's it's basically run by rich people. Like the, the, the rich gated elite. community. Yeah, like started a gated community essentially. And uh, so they, they talk a lot about, like, the elite. And it was right during George W. Bush's administration. It was, like, clearly influenced by the, the upper 1% during that time. The McMansion era. Yeah. Yeah, the McMansion era. <laughs> uh, and then he made a couple more. I think there was, like, Diary of the Dead, which I only saw once. I don't really remember. I watched one. I don't remember. It came what- out, like... I'm going to say early 2000s, mm-hmm. and all I remember about that one was like a, it was like a road trip movie. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Diary of the Dead, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I've been meaning to give that one a rewatch. I really don't remember what the what the message was that ran Shut through it. There was something. I just don't remember what it was. Sit. Mira, chill out. Sit. Um, and then there was, he did one more after that. I want to say it was Island of the Dead, but I can't say that for certain. I really don't remember what it was, but... I remember that one was on an island and there's essentially like warring families on the island and there's like zombies too. So they're really talking about humanity turning on each other once again and just like over petty feuds. And I, there's like two guys that basically while all this zombie shit is happening, just like wind up stabbing each other to death in this <laughs> field. <laughs> like while there's zombies everywhere because they have to worry about themselves more than they have to worry about the zombies, which predated uh the walking dead and by the way the walking dead he was always kind of irritated by the popularity of that show because diary of the dead was supposed to be a tv show he made it as a pilot Uh, i could totally see that like just just trying to think back of through the pot haze and Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) well it was like a 45 minute pilot and nobody would take it. And they were like, you're insane if you think a, a zombie show is going to take off. Like, it's too violent for TV. And so he made it, he got everybody back together and did another 45 minutes and turned it into a movie. Because Romero, he funded a lot of his own stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, he knew. I think he had an idea going in that if this doesn't work as a pilot, I'll just turn it into a movie. And I think the last few movies ended up really being a, like, direct-to-video release. Yeah, I don't. The one on the island was his last one, I'm pretty sure, and and Diary of the Dead, I think, was the second to last. Yeah, one. and I think it was also a direct. Yeah, I think they were both direct to to direct video. to video. Yeah. yeah, but uh, the the one with the island had a scene that I really remember that stuck out to me. That was kind of cool, like visually, which was they go to like get in a dock and they sort of show under underwater and there's just like all these zombies all over under the water so like you can't even really swim because you could get pulled in because there's just zombies sort of stuck there trying anytime they see movement they're just grabbing at it and like (laughs) trying to get people so they're like on a dock trying to push out a boat and they have to keep it sort of deep or else the zombies will get there it's just like (laughs) a whole thing but it was it was pretty cool um not, but I mean, like Dawn of the Dead, like Night of the Living Dead. Those were his those classics, are classics to me. Um, then I remember seeing another Romero movie, which was Monkey Shines, which is utterly insane. Yeah, I, I remember vaguely watching that movie. The cover, I feel like everybody who was a kid in the 80s will remember the video cover, at least if you walked by the horror section all the time like I did. Was it the one with the creepy monkey? Yes, creepy monkey. The, 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 one, the, the symbols. symbols. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that was an utterly insane movie. It's like, it's something about, because um, it's been a, a while since I've seen it, but it's like this guy, I want to say he gets in an accident and he's like paralyzed. And so... He goes through this experiment where um, he gets a helper monkey and he can sort of telepathically control a monkey. But all of his dark thoughts sort of like focus into the monkey, even if they're like in the back of his mind. And so it goes and kills people. (laughs) But it like, it doesn't make sense. There's like these big sections of movie like that just don't connect and don't make sense. And apparently it was when he was 
really, really like at the height of his drinking problem and he was socking away like a bottle of vodka a day is a story that I heard. And so, yeah, I I think it was just one of those things like it didn't make sense because while he was editing, he was just so drunk he couldn't sort of pull it together. But, I mean, dude, dude made couple of classic movies like a lot of good horror movies like it and was basically so inspired accessible. a genre of movies yeah and was so accessible to other people i mean i remember i've seen so many interviews with him like anytime they did something zombie related and they're like hey i wonder if we can get george romero he always shows up and like does a thing and like i think that that's really cool like Shaun of the dead they interviewed him for like an extra on on the uh the commentary, because you know that the title is making fun of Don yeah. of the Dead, right? And uh, and they got him not, in, and, not so much making fun, but at least an it's homage. a play off of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just cool that he would take the time and sort of recognize this movie because it's it's also a great movie, and he even is talking about how brilliant it is. Like he wasn't such an ego driven maniac that he was just like. I own the zombie <laughs> genre. You know what I mean? Like he's like, no, this is a really great movie. And yeah, I mean Edgar Wright made a great movie, but it was, I mean, it was based on a lot of stuff that happened because of what Romero do- did. Yeah, I mean, he started that whole genre. Now speaking, but of I Edgar mean, right? I I don't want I don't want to step on your ah, thing yet. Had <laughs> the perfect transition. I just wanted to step on one last, do one last thing on Edgar Wright. Um, I mean, the Shaun of the Dead also had its own commentary in it with, you know, basic day-to-day life is because you see all the zombies throughout the movie and what they were doing their day-to-day life ends up being what they were doing in their zombie life. Yeah. (laughs) Just like wandering through the mall. (laughs) Just, Pushing shopping carts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Um, so, you heard something about Edgar Wright? Were you going to say something about Edgar <laughs> yeah, Wright? Yeah, before you fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at like finding good natural transitions that I finally had one and I had it planned out. <laughs> Might as well pull back the curtain on that. So, we went and saw Baby Driver. Uh, I my mom I was bringing it up to her and she I was like do you want to see Baby Driver and she sort of gave this look like no and I was like it's Edgar Wright who did Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and she's like oh yeah I'm in and so um, we went to that and my wife she was a wild card I didn't know if she'd like she loved wild it card too. bitches <laughs> she's here dude <laughs> she's a couple rooms over <laughs> anyway uh, so. This movie pleased all of us, but no no one more than me. Like I immediately declared I wanted to go back 15 to 16 more times in the theater and watch it. It is incredible. So I didn't really understand what the movie was about. Like I watched a trailer, it didn't really grab me, but it was Edgar Wright. So I was like, you know, like he's he's won my interest. He's three for three with this movie so far. So, you know, I was gonna go check it out. Um it's so fucking good, dude. It's so good. It starts with the music. It has to start with the music in this movie. Our main character, I don't know the actor's name. He's been in a few things, but not really big roles as far as I know. But he plays this guy who has tendonitis, and his name is Baby. 
which is where they get the name. Yeah. And he's a driver for Heist, okay? And he's got tendonitis, so he listens to, to his iPod all the time. He has, like, multiple iPods on him all the time. And he, like, he uses music to drown it out, but he also uses it to sort of fit his moods and things. So, like, when he's happy, he'll be playing, like, a great soul song if he's in love. Or, like, when he's doing bank jobs, he'll play something that's more balls to the wall and stuff. But everything in this movie is edited to the music in such an insane degree. Like, um, there's, there's scenes, there's like action scenes where it's just like, they'll be firing guns to like the chorus of the song and the, like cars will flip in time to the song. Like everything is perfectly timed out to the songs. Like more so than like music videos. Like I, it's just like, think about that. The best example I can come up with is like Lola, um, that, or not Lola, Layla, like the, the sort of instrumental part with the piano that's in the end of, or towards the end of Goodfellas where you see all the people that De Niro killed and they go down and everything perfectly syncs up. But it's like you take that scene and you just make it like sync up 10 times better than Scorsese did it. That's like this entire movie and it's so fucking good. And it's like, it's like a 90 minute movie and it just flies. Like it feels like you were in there for 20 minutes cuz you just have so much fun. Crazy. So just wild speculation here. Oscar buzz for sound editing. Hmm. Sound editing or what's the other one? Uh, there's the two big sounds. There's one that's like guns, and there's one that's other things. <laughs> I mean, I think there's like sound editing and sound production. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think for editing, it it definitely could get up there. I mean, it's really really early still because a lot most. I mean, there's we haven't even got into Oscar season yet. I mean, we're in yeah, tentpole season, but te- but technically, editing would be something that usually goes to tentpole stuff anyway yeah. um i i think it could definitely get something for editing but i mean the actors in this are fucking top notch too you have kevin spacey doing his best role he's done and i don't know how fucking long like kevin spacey is so good in this you have jamie fox like completely redeeming himself from amazing spider-man 2 and just playing <laughs> a fucking awful villain who you just love to hate like he's so fucking despicable you oh, play john you're just like talking like everything you say because i'm not a big fan of jamie fox uh-huh and like i could like love to hate jamie fox in a movie i i have a tortured relationship with him. sometimes i really love him and sometimes i don't he's been in a couple movies i really love ray i thought he's amazing and i never saw ray D- it's worth it it's great um just keep in mind when you watch it that like walk the line totally ripped off the formula for ray oh, so yeah. it's like so you have to keep that in mind uh he's also really good in uh um oh god the desert storm movie um god i can't remember it now it has like jake gyllenhaal in the lead role and he played a sniper in it um yeah it'll come to me later but uh anyway so, like, Jamie Foxx is fucking great as a villain that you love to hate. Like, Kevin Spacey, also great as a, a villain that you love to hate. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey makes a hell of a villain. John Hamm, charming as fuck until he's not. 
and then becomes the ultimate villain, like pulling from a bag of tricks that I didn't even know John Hamm had. Uh, It's just everything in this movie just fucking works. The action sequences are incredible. I'm not a guy who loves car chases. I could have used like 20 more car chases in this movie. (laughs) The way that they were done is just fucking incredible, man. It's so much fun. It's really funny. It's like it's got all these knowing nods to action movies without actually being a nod to an action movie. Just like the genre of like (laughs) heist movies and like car chases. Like it, it just had the Edgar Wright sort of like nod like yeah. you were talking about with Shaun of the Dead. The soundtrack is good. Like the soundtrack is so fucking good. Like I'm definitely going to check out on Spotify and, and get that soundtrack and be listening to it. And and this is for me. Granted, this is for me. But there's a part where John Hamm asked Baby what his killer track is. Like what what's the track that that you know basically if you ha- if you have to like ride or die like what's your track is don't stop me now like no <laughs> brighton rock by queen i was like oh my god dude he's doing a deep cut of queen and it might be the best deep cut of queen period and you're right must really be oh he's a, a queen, queen fan yeah and he he <laughs> has that a couple of times in the movie he does brighton rock but it's this it's this song that is just fucking incredible. It's these dueling like electric guitars that just fucking I don't know. They just they just get you so excited. And it's like Brian May essentially playing against himself. <laughs> Cause I know that's even more it. impressive. Yeah. But it's it's really, really cool. And uh just everything in that movie is great. You'll walk away with a smile. They already greenlit the sequel I had heard before I watched it, but uh, there's a lot of people loving this movie, and then because it got so much love, there's a lot of people hating on this movie. Because the haters gonna hate, you know. That's just Fake gonna happen. News. But I'm telling you right now, this is fucking amazing, dude. If you could get a cameo from somebody who's like other than Stanley, the number one cameo person that you can think of, Bill Murray. Nah, he's not really. A ca- mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know he knocks it out when he's got a cameo, but he's not really known for cameos. I'm talking about somebody who's known for cameos. Mm-hmm. Like his entire career in film is based off of cameos. I'm gonna say it, and you're gonna know I'm telling the truth. Flea, Flea from the Chili Peppers <laughs> is in this movie, dude. <laughs> you know, there's like the few movies Flea has been in no, are like not in my echelon. Yeah, there's like. A hundred movies Flea's been in. They're all cameos, and he's all great in all of them. He's in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, That's Back to the Future. Yep. (laughs) Back to the Future. The Chase. Remember him and Anthony Kiedis are like the redneck guys? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought about that one for a while. I'm pretty sure he's only in this movie because of The Chase. I'm just going to like, I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, He's in so many, a son-in-law. He's in Son-in-Law. He's like in the tattoo parlor. Yeah. There's just so many movies that Flea is in for cameos. Like Stan Lee is the only guy more known for cameos than Flea, I think. Like maybe not known, but when you start to think about it, you're like, yeah, Flea is pretty much at the top of the list. Like he was doing the cameo thing before Stan Lee got to do the cameo thing. Yeah, you're kind of right. Because he's been doing it since the 80s. Yeah. And like, like Stan Lee... He's really first in a movie that I know of in Mallrats, and that's not a cameo. Like, that's actually a supporting role. 
because he has a good five to seven minutes of screen time. We just watched Mall Rats the other day because my mom hadn't seen it. So we sat down to watch it. And uh, yeah, by the way, Mall Rats, like still funny, so dated. It's very dated. Yeah, because like you know, the mall thing it's funny, just like, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I it's mean, it's funny it does, looking at a lot of the Kevin Smith movies are dated. Yeah, but I love. I, it. I it's think still Clerks funny holds up. Mall rats like mall rats doesn't just because of the mall thing. No, but this is what I'm trying to say. It like holds up. It's just so dated. Yeah, but like the jokes are still really funny. Like the the pop culture jokes that he. This is what I was really impressed with when I was watching it. Was the pop culture jokes that he chose still fucking stand up because they're all comic book jokes. All of the pop culture jokes in that movie, not all of them, but a good majority of them are like. It's like about Wolverine or it's about Batman or it's about Superman. Like it's all shit that's still relevant. Like if, if anything, more people know these yeah. characters than they did when Mallrats came out. You know, and the things that happen beyond that that are pop culture related, like Jaws, are, yeah. are classic that will be in the ethos forever. Yeah, just maybe the only thing that doesn't hold up as well as uh, when he calls a guy Richard Dawson, the the game show. <laughs> so it's like because they've only had like 20 family feud host since then yeah like when he says like go back to the feud richard dawson like the feud thing you give but the richard dawson thing i'm wondering if the younger generation even knows they're like don't you mean steve harvey <laughs> god because there's been in the last 10 years like five was six, louis anderson louis anderson was there the guy that from tool time or Home oh richard karn yeah yeah al <laughs> that's right I didn't even really ever watch Family Feud with any regularity, but somehow I know this. <laughs> it's weird. I never did. Like, I still don't, but I end up seeing a lot of Steve Harvey stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's definitely and, in the... the, the and it's just because of the, you know, the YouTube era. Yeah, definitely. But getting back to it, I just, I just want to say... Baby Driver, all my all my friends in Helena, it's still in the theaters right now. Like maybe it's your last week. Fucking go see it. I cannot I cannot tell you enough. It's something that you will eventually catch on TV and I don't care what point you're at, you're going to fucking watch it to the end and you're going to wish you saw it in the theater. So just take it from Biggs. If you got extra money in your pocket, go see Baby Driver. <laughs> go see it. You won't regret it. It's so good. Like it's it's the funnest movie I've seen in a long, long time. And like there was some fun movies already this year. There's already been a bunch of fun movies. Like I just saw Spider Man. It's been a good year for movies. It has been a great year for movies. Yeah. Like I, I'm starting to wonder if this is gonna shape up to like the year like Raiders was in in the box office, you know? <sighs> like it, it's been that kind of year so far. You gotta finish out the summer first. But, like, it's been a pretty fucking good year for movies. And there has been a bunch of fun ones already this year, too. Like, Get Out, for as heavy as it is, it's really fun, too. But, like, this movie is the most fun I had in a movie. I, I honestly couldn't tell you the last movie I had this much fun. I'm like, see it, see it, see it. Anyway, uh, so another movie I went and saw, and I saw it today, was War of the Planet of the Apes. That looked interesting. Like the more trailers and stuff I see, the more I'm really want to see this movie. So, and I think I've said it on the podcast before. The trailers didn't really do it for me, 
But like this movie delivers, man. It's so good. It's like you you've seen the first two, right, of these Matt Reeves uh Planet of the Apes movies. I know I saw the first one with James Franco. Did you see the next one? They have like Koba starting a war. You know, basically. I didn't see the second one. Okay. The second one's even better. Like yeah. the second one's even better than the first one. This one, I don't know. I like I just walked out of it, so it's hard. I don't know if this one or the second one are the best ones, but man, they're neck and neck. Like it's fucking great. It doesn't repeat what it did in the second movie. It's very much a continuation. It's very much Caesar's like it's a trilogy. Like it's, it's a trilogy. That's fucking every one of those movies is solid. Um, and it, it just works, dude. It's so good. It's such a great character study of like Caesar in this one. And there's so many little moments that just will pull at your heartstrings. And the action is so good when you see it. Like we got apes with machine guns at the beginning of this movie. But like he doesn't lean on the action ever. Like when there's action scenes, we've been talking about this a lot lately. Like how they've been minimizing action scenes lately in movies it seems to be a trend now because like like guardians of the galaxy was the first one i really noticed it in like they're just following Groot while this big action thing is like happening in the background right and then like spider-man homecoming they're like i don't know if we talked about it but like it was definitely there where they're he's like they're basically taking all the action scenes from civil war but it's like peter with this phone and he's like (laughs) you know what i mean like they they made it interesting teenager yeah like you're seeing it from his point of view during that little scene at the opening of Homecoming. And this movie, like, it definitely has big action scenes, but there's not a second wasted on screen. And it's not action for the sake of action. It's action that serves the story. And more often they spend on you the know, characters. I will say Mad Max Fury Road really started this action rejuvenation. Like Cause I think like the Michael Bay's of Jason Bournes and have really like cut into the action scenes where you're seeing so much thrown at you that is just stuff blowing up on films or not, not really like plot driven where, and I think when, cause Fury Road was such a box office hit that wasn't as it was more surprising than most people thought it would be just because it was done so well. I didn't think it was going to be a hit. I saw the trailer and I was (laughs) like, I don't want to see this. Who would want to see this? I remember Zach being blown away by the trailer. Oh, I was. Well, I, I wasn't blown away by the trailer. It was like after a few people saw it and like. You have to see this fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, and that was... Uh, you guys were so fucking on board with it. And, like, honestly, the whole world was <laughs> on board with it, too. So, um, that's one I would, I'd like, equate to Fury Road for sure. That, like, I saw Mad Max Fury Road when it hit Blu-ray. And I fucking regretted not seeing it in the theater. I just regretted it, dude. I, I chose other movies to go see and, like... I felt bad about it when I watched it because it was so good. And I think Baby Driver is on that level. Like, I think it's on that level where if you don't see this in the theater, you're just going to regret it. <laughs> you're so going to regret it. 
But uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, it's a very different movie from Baby Driver. <laughs> yeah. It's a very heavy movie in, in moments. I would say, like, if your kid can't handle sadness, don't take them to this movie. <laughs> uh, outside of that, like, I mean, I cried twice during it. And it was like one of the scenes wasn't even like something that was made to make you cry. It was just like it was so fucking touching. And there's there's so much in this movie that's so good. And I feel like we're in an era right now where they're basically to save on costs. They're like taking these auteur directors and they're they're whipping them out into these franchises and they're giving them a little bit of rope and saying, all right, do your thing. And like Matt Reeves from beginning to end of this AIDS franchise is just fucking killing it. And like the second planet of the Apes, like the dawn of the planet of the apes was so much better than the first one the first one's a great movie yeah and like the second one just blows that one out of the water and this one is right on that level if not higher like i said i gotta give it a few more watches before i'm sure but holy at shit at least some time great. to digest and and i'm sure that they're gonna keep spinning out these movies but not with matt reeves it's he's done now like he's moving on to the batman but uh, and it is called The Batman, so I wasn't just being old. <laughs> yeah, I got some stuff to say. That was one of my topics coming up. Yeah, and we'll get to that in just a second. But um, but Matt Reeves is fucking, like, he should be so proud of what he did. I hope that he's, like, genuinely proud of what he did with these movies because he took this franchise that I loved as a kid and that just, like, started out great. And like it was just diminishing returns, and that's not to say that I didn't love them on some level, but and then you hit the Tim Burton one, and it just felt like it was fucking dead in the water. But these three movies are so good; they all wrap up together in one story. As far as I can tell, there's no like inconsistency in the story. They sort of set it up like we could get a like a remake of Planet of the Apes but we're still a ways off, like probably like 20 years off yeah. of what a planet of the apes would be if they, if they remake it. I hope that they don't remake it. Like, I hope that they get somebody who can, cause I know they're going to keep making these. So I <laughs> hope that they can get somebody who can do as good of a job as Matt Reeves, or at least like 80% as good. Do if they even get 60% as good? That's how fucking good this movie was. Nice. They can get 60% as good of this movie. But I want more original tales. Like I, it continued on the tale. See, that's like, what I it was. want humans to die. Like <laughs> I want them to die out because the apes are so fucking. They're so lifelike. I never thought I would get to that point of CGI, and I really was there with the last two movies. But this movie like hangs on like close-ups of their faces so much, and like you believe it. You don't even think to question like, wow, these special effects are good or, or like I can see where it's fake. Like you don't think any of that, like is a real fucking face you're looking at. It's just amazing. Like the effects work like Woody Harrelson is a fucking psychotic villain. But once again, like, you know, his motivation, um, his motivation makes sense, even though he's fucking psychotic and most people wouldn't go to those ends. You can see why he went to these ends. So there's a real purpose behind the villain. He's not a villain for villainy. Sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's a, it's a really smart story. The moments are so good. I just like, I've been so happy with movies lately. God. And you know what? Like in the foreseeable future, 
it doesn't seem to stop. I know uh, this weekend Dunkirk comes out. It looks pretty good. I mean, being Chris Nolan joint. Yeah, another one that nothing in the trailers has grabbed me, but it's fucking Christopher Nolan. I'm going to go to it because guess what? His last movie, you nothing know, fucking I, grabbed me. I, it was incredible. You know, I look at a lot of stuff on the internet, and the stuff I look at, because I, I mean, Rolling Stone can say, you know, is a one of the best movies of the year, which doesn't really, like, hit me one way or another. But they had this, because uh, I was looking through Facebook today and they during lunch, and they had an article about Dunkirk. And, you know, Rolling Stone's given it, like, four and a half, five stars. I mean, just, like, a great movie. But then, like, people that, like, have actually seen it, like, overseas and stuff... I mean, just like probably the best war movie ever made. Wow. I mean, even better than Saving Private Ryan or, I mean, Bridge Over the River Kwai. What's, I mean, fa- what's your favorite war movie you've ever seen? Probably Saving Private Ryan. See, I got to say. Because that, that's the one that like really hit me the most. I hate to say this because somebody's going to laugh when they hear this, but the people who've seen this are going to know I'm not just fucking saying this. I think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is like the best war movie I've ever seen. Like, it's incredible. It is about war and like the horrors of war and trying at, like to not get into war and all of the pitfalls that will throw you into a war. And like, it's just an incredible movie. I shouldn't be saying that about a movie with fucking CGI apes. <laughs> about fucking monkeys. Yeah, I should not be saying that. Like, but I like honest to God, it's up there. But if you're going like humans in war, it's probably Apocalypse Now is my favorite. It's See, fucking, that's a really good. It's one. fucking weird. I don't know yeah, about it all is the weird. messages in it, but it's just like it always encapsulates me. Like, or not encapsulate, but like it. It fucking. It just grabs me by the balls and makes me pay attention every time I watch Apocalypse Now. And for me, it's, I mean, it's, I can't think of a better horror movie, or not horror, war movie than Saving Private Ryan just because that's pretty great. The way it fucking hits me, mostly on a personal level, just because I, I mean, I have family that, fought in world war two yeah me too and so i mean just because it it does a really good job of putting you in that situation and seeing like what my grandfather went through my grandpa watched it and he had to like step away during the oh i i I don't know he said it was like very very realistic and he just had to like i don't know if my grandfather could watch it yeah Cause I know like my grandfather used to watch a lot of, I mean, it seems like half the time we'd show up at my grandfather's house. He was watching like the dirty dozen or, um, uh, bridge over the river required. I mean, good war movies, but it didn't like, it was this still one, Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there was, there was like a, a break between that. And I think, you know, Saving Private Ryan broke that wall. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, just from what I've seen of Dunkirk so far, it looks like it's that same sort of thing where it does a really good job of not 
like putting you in that situation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. I wonder how our grandpas would handle Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Matt Reeves, as you wanted to bring up, uh, he was on The Batman. What's the news you wanted to break? So, I, I got a feeling I was going to say the same thing. So what I read today was the Ben Affleck script is done. Yeah. And, I mean, basically they threw it in the trash and they're going with... Uh, I think Matt He's Reeves write it. is at least co-writing or writing it. Yeah, and he wrote he wrote the Planet of the Apes movie, so I'm all about this. It seems like Ben Affleck stepped away from it willingly, from what I read. They kind of it didn't out. seem really. I mean, I think it was a lot of the studios plus plus you know the how well the war. Uh, Planet of the Apes movies is doing. See, the stuff that I read kind of put it in the boat of Ben Affleck realized he couldn't really wear more than the acting hat because he's been going through this divorce and then rekindling and all this and he went through rehab and like he's got a lot on his plate personally. And <laughs> Have like, you seen the, the picture of for him? Ben Affleck just like sitting outside on a railing smoking a cigarette? No. Oh my god! It's like the it it is one of those pictures you see on the internet, and you're like, you know exactly what's going through that guy's mind. Like, like not. there's so much fucking like hitting him at once. Like, I gotta go fucking outside. I'm gonna have a cigarette, and then I'm gonna fucking deal with this shit. Yeah, I I really feel bad for him. Like, that's a guy. I know a lot of people are always on the fuck Ben Affleck wagon, but like I enjoyed his acting for a long time and I've always enjoyed hearing him in interviews because even though he made some movies that were like not so great at a certain point, like he always seemed like a stand up guy and he always seemed like a guy who was not a dick who like you could actually talk to and, and uh I don't know, like he seemed like a, a person, not like this big yeah. fake guy and so like i do feel for him like with all this shit going on and so it's like i do want to like specify the things i read made sense to me like he's just going through turmoil in his life right now he's one of the biggest actors on the planet he just is and that'll happen to you when you play batman anyway but he was pretty fucking known before batman and and uh he's going through this shit and so it's like he doesn't have time to like be a director, be an actor, be a producer, be a writer. Like all of that shit takes so much time and it's so much pressure. And when you're trying Especially to sort like a out, huge tentpole movie, like a Batman movie. Yeah. And when you're trying to sort out your life, it's like one hat is probably more than enough. You know, you know? and it, it was kind of interesting because I, I saw the first breaking story about the, the Affleck script out the window. And then I started reading about the Matt Reeves where he wants to take that is really back to the detective roots. Yeah. But it does seem like from what I've heard him say and from what I heard Affleck saying going into it, like we may or may not get Deathstroke. Like that's sort of up in the air. I really don't give a shit. I know some people do. <laughs> but what what really does hit me is that uh, they both wanted to do like play up the detective part that seemed like something. So I don't know that the script's just like in the trash. I think it's just like, he's starting over. He's probably taking key ideas. I and, think uh, key ideas or elements are probably going to happen. Yeah. But like, I don't think they're going to Nick cage Superman this. 
No, no, <laughs> dude. I have complete, complete faith, faith in Matt Reeves. Like after these last two Planet of the Apes movies, like I don't know. I I have complete faith in him to do anything. But I have one more thing to talk about. Um, and there's no natural transition, so I'll just get into it. So uh, we had the premiere of Game of Thrones. <laughs> See, I got a couple okay. more things after that. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, let's let's get into that. We'll say Game of Thrones for the end so we can just talk about whatever we want. Because right. there's probably somebody who's... So, have you heard about the uh, Kermit the Frog situation? Yeah, the actor quit. Uh, the, he, not was quit. Fired. he was fired. Right. He's been doing Kermit since... 1990. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was actually chosen by Jim Henson to take over after he passed away. Mm-hmm. And basically, along the way, he has been fairly vocal about the direction that the character Kermit the Frog should take. I mean, he was, when Disney bought the rights to the Muppets, or they became part of the Disney Corporation, um, and then they started to produce the uh, Muppet TV show, Um, he was really vocal cause they, cause they had a really small, um, room of people that were writing for that show and they were doing a lot of stuff with Kermit the frog that really was out of character for, cause like, what was it? Kermit, the, Kermit, uh, lied to his nephew about breaking up with Miss Piggy to save his feelings. Mm-hmm. which I totally get is not part of Kermit's. He's more of a stand-up guy than that. So, I mean, he was really vocal about where he thought this character sh- should be. And because he was vocal about it, they uh, fired him for being uh, disruptive. Mm-hmm. So... I feel it two minds on this. I I really do. Like I see that point. I also think that like when you're the voice talent, you're not the writer. And so there is also this element. Yes of, and like, no. There's also this element of if you're going to go against, like if you're going to bite the hand that feeds you on this and like talk about it in the press, that's something that you got to expect to lose your job over. I hate to say that, but I mean, like my boss, I had him on the show. He's great. But if I was just like talking mad shit about him, <laughs> like I would have to expect yeah. to, to have retaliation. And it's like I try a lot of this stuff. I know that it's all these people playing make believe for a living and everything. But like I was trying to put myself in that position, like like put my like if you can somehow put that into your real life, and like does that situation go? And uh, very often it won't. And like in this case, I'm not saying Disney was right for doing it, but like I totally get it. Like when you get somebody bashing you in the press over something, yeah, I'm probably not gonna hand that guy yeah. a check. Uh, that being said, I mean he's right on that, but. You know, you got you got to expect to take the hit if you're gonna if you're gonna go out publicly like that. You probably should have yeah. had that fight privately. I guess that's what my sort of takeaway with that. He should have had you know, that fight and it, privately. You know, and it's probably somewhere in the middle where he really did try privately to get it, but 
But that's the, the studio thing. execs were pushing it so hard that. But if you say that out loud in public, I mean, that's 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 what can happen. <sighs> like there's a there's always yeah. a price for speaking your mind out in public. You can do it. We have First Amendment and everything. Like you can totally go out and do that. But like you have to be prepared for it to to hit you in the face. You know. Yeah. Um. So. I mean, I feel bad. Like, I agree with the guy on his stand there. But at the same time, uh, with him talking about how distraught he was and stuff like that, it's like, dude, but you should have known. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see Colin Kaepernick out there crying right now that he can't get a job. Like, he's not crying that he can't be quarterback of the 49ers because he fucking took a stand and he knew it very well would bite him in the ass and he fucking took a bullet for that one you know uh it's it sucks but it's like if you go to take a stand publicly and like put your job on the line like that you have to recognize you're putting your job (laughs) on the line yeah (laughs) you know what i mean so it's like i feel for the guy but at the same time like i don't know i mean we have the freedom of speech but it's not a freedom of speech from retribution yeah, unfortunately, yeah. you know. I so just to be clear, I agree with what he said. I, I do want to be clear on that. I just um it, it's hard to like I don't know. It's hard <laughs> to reconcile that though, because I don't think I would go out publicly and say things unless I was prepared to lose my job the second that that camera went off. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess that's just where I'm coming from. Yeah, I, like, I, I guess it's the tone. If he had come through pissed off talking about it, it would be one thing. But everything I read was talking about how distraught he was. And it's like, well, dude, like you just talk shit about your boss in public. <laughs> like, of course. You know, like that's Terry Gilliam territory right there. Terry Gilliam <laughs> talks shit about. When you get into being lumped, lumped in with Terry Gilliam, you're not in a good place. Yeah, because <laughs> every pro- project that Terry Gilliam does, for those those who know Terry Gilliam, you know what he I'm talking about. Do <laughs> he doesn't do sequels. There's a reason for that. He gets in an argument with, like, he has a fucking knockdown, drag out fight with every single project that he has. Like, he has a giant fight. But, like, dude is also prepared to walk off of a job because he's done it a few times, you know? Uh, it's it's just one of those things. You have to, like, be mindful of the things you say. Like, okay, you know what it is? All right, here's what bothers me. It's the conviction. It's the fucking conviction. Go out there and have the conviction to lose your job if you're going to say that shit. But don't turn around and be crying about how it's unfair if you lose your job. You should have known that when you said it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so, I, I didn't like the, the tone he was taking. It was, too, it was too sad. It was too sad. It was just like... I don't know. Like you made millions of dollars playing Kermit. You should have known you were putting millions of dollars on the line for that. So the other thing I uh, uh, started watching because I uh, ended up with H- an HBO stream. Legally, this this is not a pirate thing. I have a legal <laughs> subscription. <laughs> yeah, you told me on PlayStation View nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and... I watched a movie this weekend that I was pleasantly surprised by. It's uh, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Oh, yeah, that's funny. 
That was pretty entertaining. Yeah. With uh, John Hamm, Zach Galifianakis. I did a review on this podcast of that. I went to the theater and saw it. Gal Gadot. Yeah. Yeah. That was the last movie I saw with John Hamm. He's fucking killing it. He's he is killing job. it. It's a really funny movie. And uh, Patton Oswald, great. When he shows up, <laughs> it's just like such a bright spot of that movie. Well, speaking of bright spots, I heard it's Hunter S. Thompson's 80th birthday. 80th birthday. He would have been 80 years old today. So... As we teased, as we're recording, yeah, and as we teased earlier, uh, so we're gonna talk about Game of Thrones, but we're gonna save it for the very end. So we're gonna break break the tradition a little bit here. Do the Hunter story first, yeah, just because it's his 80th birthday. I'm gonna tell you about the time he almost drowned Bill Murray. <laughs> okay, <laughs> for those not in the know, Bill Murray played him in a movie called Where the Buffalo Roam. Yeah. Which is not as good as Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but it's still a fun watch. I like it. I liked it more than I like the Rum Diary. Mm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there with you. But, but that's okay. <laughs> I really like the Rum Diary. The one thing I will say about the movie for the Rum Diary, though, is that the book really, really hit me in a sweet spot at the time I read it because it's really about being a certain age like in your early 20s when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life like are you going to go on this crazy route are you going to try and be more respectable and uh, that's really what that book was about to me and they couldn't really i mean it was there but not as much in the movie because johnny depp was too old by that point to really like get that across so they had to bury that a little bit but i really like that movie too Anyway, so. So, much like Depp would in the 90s, back in the early 80s, Bill Murray was hanging out with Thompson a lot in order to play play him in Where the Buffalo Roam. One night, when Murray and Thompson were getting drunk, they began challenging each other with more and more intense Houdini-esque escapes. Murray was fairly competent to be able to pull off a daring underwater rope escape. <laughs> So Thompson tied him to a chair and swiftly kicked him into the swimming pool. <laughs> I could just see him doing like a 300, like, boom. <laughs> it soon became clear that Murray couldn't escape it and was quickly drowning. His escape may have been thwarted because Thompson had decided to use duct tape instead of rope. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Luckily, Thompson was able to rescue Murray from the swimming room swimming pool before he drowned well i guess it ended happily those are two guys that like every time you see them it's just like a crazy story right (laughs) like i mean because bill murray someday we could do this with bill murray easily i mean it's it's gonna be a different caliber of crazy yeah definitely like a lesser caliber of crazy but but he had his own own interesting like walking up to some guy in a restaurant eating a french fry and saying nobody will ever believe you and walking away <laughs> yeah there's like a youtube video out there with somebody where uh they were like they said something about how they loved uh, loved him in wes anderson movies how you always do the the crazy thing like turns around the corner and so he got bill murray to do that <laughs> like he's in a wes anderson movie like Bill Murray, like tending bar, just out of nowhere, he's just like tending bar, 
Uh, the one we had in Montana is he just showed up to a baseball game here uh, in Butte because he owned the Copper Kings for a while, or he had like part part ownership. ownership. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he just like showed up to their opening game, and there's all sorts of like hilarity that ensued. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay, so we're gonna talk about the Game of Thrones. So last chance to tune out if you haven't watched the the season premiere yet. Three, two, one. Here we go. Um, so what stuck out for you the most in this episode? Only Arya killed people. Yeah, that's true. She killed a lot of people. <laughs> she killed a lot of people. It was really interesting that like it starts out with her killing like a hundred people and then just like nobody dying, but it's like, dude, there was like a hundred people that died in that episode. And it wasn't like it was an uninteresting episode either. We got we sorta we basically found out what's I mean, we knew what, what would kill the um the White Walkers, which was like Obsidian, right? The Dragon, the Dragon Glass. Glass, but it's like Obsidian. Yeah. Uh, and so now, now we know that like there's a spot that's just like has a mountain all this, of yeah. Dragon Glass. So we know we know that the the method is in place for humanity to live. I really love so, that speech. You know that, what was interesting about that? I was reading because when Sam is going through that book, they had there's people on Reddit that like screenshotted that and actually like read what was in there. Um, the, the other things that dragon glass can do beyond kill white walkers is cure, uh, uh dragon scale. Ah, <laughs> and yet he just didn't even pay attention when the dude with dragon scale reached out his arm. Supposedly Jura. Yeah. I mean, it sounded like him. That I, I immediately like it wasn't the arm that grabbed me, it was his voice at yeah. first. Like so yeah, it was clearly him as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, he's supposed to be like helping him out. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that that stuck somewhere in the back of his head. Cause that would be very unfortunate if yeah. it didn't. <laughs> uh yeah, so there was that. I thought it was really interesting where Daenerys like goes back to her back to her uh kingdom yeah like on the edge of westeros I, that part really drugged for me really i thought it had a lot of weight like i thought the fact that they were silent when they went through that like I you know i kind of felt like the, the the look on Tyrion's face as he walking through like oh this is interesting uh, so what are we what are we doing it, Tyrion had that look like oh this is this is an interesting place, but like wasn't really interested in being there. <laughs> oh, see, I read it differently. I read it like he was staying quiet because he realized it was a really big moment and that he shouldn't talk. Like I, I thought that they were all very aware of what they were doing when they walked in there and what was about to happen. So I don't know. It, it's interesting because it sets it up like they're in Westeros now. Yeah, everybody's getting closer. And it ended Araya's with the second them. best line in the show. With the shall we begin? <laughs> yeah, it was all right. It was the second best. <laughs> it's all right. The first is definitely Arya saying the North remembers in that Pepperidge yes. Farm yeah, sort of way. The North remembers. <laughs> Yeah, she got revenge on everybody for the wet red wedding. Like everybody. <laughs> except except for those Lannisters. Fucking Lannisters. Do you think she's gonna take out Tyrion? 
Wouldn't that suck? I'm just going to throw it out there because yeah. I don't think anybody's thinking about it right now. Like, what if she takes out Tyrion? It could happen. It could happen. It's I, not like she's super up to date on like like modern politics right now. She knows about the Red Wedding. That's about it. Like she knows <laughs> about Joffrey dying. It doesn't seem like she's super up on current events. She she might not know that Tyrion could be on her side. Yeah, because basically the last we know that Arya is seen is uh, basically from the play that sh- she was like an extra in mm-hmm. was talking about the the wedding where Joffrey died. Yeah, where jo- Joffrey got poisoned. It seemed like that's how she sort of got up to date on what was happening there. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. Jon Snow, it looks like he might be having um, like, I don't know, like a showdown with the sister. Yeah. Like, so and- it kind of, the, like they set it up a little bit. She did the Fredo move. Like the Fredo, or, is it Fredo? No, the Sonny move. She did the Sonny Corleone move from The Godfather where he like spoke out against his dad in the meeting and then it just fucking goes terrible for the Corleones because you're supposed to be quiet during that and you like speak your mind in private, not in front of your enemy. Yeah. Uh, like she just spoke all of that like in front of all these people, some of who are probably not on board with Jon Snow. Not smart. Yeah, it was... There was definitely a lot going on, and it was interesting. Somebody pointed out, and I don't know how much to read into that, but she had Cersei's hairstyle from season yeah. two. Yeah. Well, and she seemed like she was talking about Cersei a little bit admirably, in a way. Like, yeah, talking about how like, evil she was, but like almost like respect the way she said it about how she She knows how to fucking enemies. play the game almost, like. Which she's right, but dude, you're supposed to be one of the good people. (laughs) You're supposed to be a Stark, damn it. Yeah. It's just. Of course, the Starks are going down, like, with the exception of Snow. Well, yeah, I guess he did go down. (laughs) He got brought back, and everybody knew it, except for John Kitna, apparently. (laughs) He was trying to convince us he wasn't going down. He probably just forgot about all his scenes. You mean Kit Harrington? (laughs) Kit Harrington, yeah. John Kitna played uh, quarterback for the Seahawks. Yeah, that guy too. He totally <laughs> went down. Dude. When's the last time you heard about John Kitna? <laughs> I I said I would guess that it would be this podcast is the only time you've heard about John Kitna in like the last decade or so. <laughs> it's Probably gotta be longer. <laughs> Unless you're like a real hardcore Seahawks. Shit, fan. that was like back when they were in the AFC West. Yeah, that was back when he was on. I think he was a quarterback for Super Tech Mobile, which is the only reason that name immediately popped into my head. <laughs> it was either that or QB Seahawks, but I think it was John Kidna. I do think it was John Kidna. I remember they had QB Bills because they couldn't get the rights to uh, Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly, yeah. And they had uh, QB Eagles, which was. Um, Oh man, Don, not not Donovan McNabb, but uh, the, Warren Moon. No, because no, he was the Vikings. But yeah, QB Vikings as well. <laughs> <laughs> or no, I think they might have Warren Moon actually. Uh, oh God, which one was it? Um, he was one of the first black quarterbacks. I'm pretty sure he was the first for the Eagles. God, why can't I can't even think of his name. 
Because that was before McNabb. It was definitely before McNabb. It was like decades before McNabb. Yeah. Uh, at least a decade and a half. Anyway. Randall Cunningham. Boom. <laughs> Got it. All right. How do we on. get from Game of because, Thrones to Randall Cunningham? Because you need to know how to play the Game of Thrones and you need to know the name of the QBs <laughs> in Tecmo Super Bowl. <laughs> Anyway. Only this podcast. Yeah. You know who's like the Bo Jackson of Game of Thrones? Littlefinger. Yeah. <laughs> He's just unstoppable. He always finds a way to get up on you top. You can't fucking tackle that fucker. Yeah, he's just fucking running a yard shy of the end zone, running backwards, running through the end zone, running out, ran out the quarter, and scored a touchdown. <laughs> fucking Littlefinger. I hate him. <laughs> but he's such a great villain, too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Where else are you going to get analysis like this, dude? Super Tech Mobile, Game of Thrones, practically the same thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. I know there was other shit. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I did want to say, so when they were in the Citadel, I really liked that speech that the guy who was in charge of the <laughs> Citadel gave to... Um, at least the master, the maester. Yeah, the maester, where he talked about how he talked about all these periods of history. They thought it was going to be the end of of human history, and like, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And yet, humankind always perseveres. And he's right. Like, I know that we get caught up in that moment, and they really need to take it serious. But if you think about it from a human perspective, if you're looking at it, it takes a lot to kill us fuckers off. I mean, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. They need to take it seriously and all, but he's right. Like humankind always perseveres and yet we keep thinking it's going to be the thing that ends everything. Right. I mean, like it was, it was, it, to me, it like rang very true. It rang very true because there's been several people in charge in my lifetime and crises and things. And yet somehow we survive. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be trying to stop them. And like learn about them and try and, and stem them before they become a problem and things. But like it is important to keep the long view of we are going to survive through this. This little piece of history that we're in is a little piece of history that we're in. And I think we forget that. I just thought it was like a really fucking wise thing to say. <laughs> like it was this little gem that was hidden within the show. That was my favorite part of the show was him talking about that because I think people forget that sometimes. So that was when, when you say like, like, you know, the North never, the North never forgets. That was <laughs> the best line, but I'd say the next best line was everything delivered talking about that. I mean, it's not a line per se, but a soliloquy perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we're missing from that episode that should be talked about? Um, I feel like we hit the big points there. The other thing, because uh, that show started off really hot. I mean, they had the whole Arya scene, and then they went from that transition into the White Walkers. Mm. Yeah, we got to see the White Walkers. I'm a fan. Any Fucking time we get giant to see them. White Walkers. Yeah, there's like th- at least three giants yeah. that are with the White Walkers. 
Oh, and the whole thing with the hound was really interesting too because he was basically responsible for that father and daughter starving to death. Yeah. And then he comes back and and that guy has been brought back from the dead time and time again sort of speculates how they died and you can just see the guilt on the hound's face while he's dealing with it. And it's very much an anger like if there's a god, why can't he stop this or this or that? But he also seems very interested in... uh growing as a person i guess a little bit yeah like I mean, actually he, taking like, into account the things that he does yeah i mean he's actually showing some remorse for what he did and ends up respectfully burying the dead and i do think him traveling with Araya was the start of that like i think him traveling with her he started to look at things in a different light yeah, it, I mean, it started there, but I think... It was a shame that he Ian rubbed Ma- off on her as well, <laughs> right? Oh, definitely. Like, they rubbed off on each other, and I think she rubbed off on him in a really good way, and he did not rub <laughs> off on her in a good way. No. Because she is just vengeful as all fuck now. Yeah. Yeah, but... I think the Ian McShane character really was where he started. He really turned the corner. Yeah, yeah. I think like Araya sort of laid the base for him, and then like that Ian McShane character kind of really made him take stock in what he was doing. Yeah, probably didn't help that he almost got murdered by a child. (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing with my life? All right, this is probably a good place to cut off. Unless you got anything else to say? Oh, those were my big points. All right, so I do want to plug a couple of things. Um, I should have a real roulette, hopefully up Thursday. By the way, this is totally my fault that it didn't go up earlier. It was supposed to be up like two weeks ago. That was my fault. My mom's visiting. Like I had things in my life. Uh, Aaron Donaldson, if it was, if I had just gone with the time schedule with him, it would have been out on time. But <laughs> just had things in my life, so I got. Um, pushed off there should be a space balls episode coming soon with amp um, i'm gonna work on editing that this week so i'm looking forward to getting that out and then the thing i really really want to plug if you guys haven't listened to we had a good life yet it's a great podcast but just subscribe on it really quick i'm gonna hopefully be on the next episode if all goes according to plan uh I, i'm supposed to be showing up and recording an episode with them so that should be fun. It's always fun to hang out with the Campbells and get get a bit of a different dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely going to bring whiskey to this one. So we got, we got our high school reunion. What kind of whiskey you got there? Oh, I'm going to get some Jameson. All yeah. right. I, that, that's, that's my whiskey of choice. But uh, we got our high school reunion <sighs> that night. So I want to start out going in hot. <laughs> yeah, this weekend looking like it's going to be a – Interesting weekend. I got the high school reunion plus our company picnic on Sunday at the baseball game. So, oh wow! So you're just like, but 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 we have a um we have a company thing going on. I think this Monday at uh at a Brewers game too. So I guess they're playing back to back days. Yeah, they got a seven day home stretch coming up. Wow. Yeah. So we got all those podcasts to look, to look forward to. So take it easy.
them on your laptop. Put them on your phone. Put them in your ears. Not safe for network. With the not safe for network, the entertainment's ringing through your brain. Collect them all or trade them with your friends. Not safe for network. Real roulette. Maybe you're a film student. I'm picturing you with a beret. We had a good life. Well, Strap, it's a bit of the gift and the curse. That's debatable. It'd be nice if they showed a little accountability. The Alien Movie Project. It's just another clear-cut case of American exceptionalism. Montucky Skies. I'm spoiling the shit out of this in three, two, one. Bigs on film. We're watching this on Netflix because I'm three beers in and lost the Blu-ray. Listen to all the archives in a row and they form a mega podcast so long that your significant other will be drawing up divorce papers. Not safe for network.